Hello and welcome to the Westbeck Startup Podcast. This podcast is an adapted clip from a recent webinar on female founders. Raquel Naboa, founder and CEO of Fifty Shades Greener, speaks about her entrepreneurial journey, overcoming imposter syndrome, and she lays out her personal top tips. This is followed by questions from Ulton Faherty of Westbeck to dive deeper into what it really takes to build a strong team, a robust network, where businesses miss opportunities, and so much more. Thank you, everyone, for taking the time to be here and listen to our stories today. Just to tell you a little bit about myself, my name is Raquel Naboa. I'm the founder of Fifty Shades Greener, a leading educational company teaching environmental sustainability around the world. My own career up until 2017 was in hospitality. To be honest, I kind of fell into hospitality by pure chance. I was 17 years old when my dad offered me a one-way ticket to whatever I wanted to go. And destiny has it that a week later, I landed in Shannon in County Clare. I had no English at the time, and so my only option was to clean bedrooms as a housekeeping assistant for my first year in Ireland, which was quite a shock to my system at the time. My immediate family are all academics. My mom is a doctor, my dad is a psychologist turned politician, and my sister is a marine biologist. When my parents asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I literally had no idea. Two things I did know is that I wanted to be challenged by my career every day, but that I also wanted to have fun at my job. Needless to say, they all thought I was crazy or lazy or a mix of both. I've never been a person that learned through books or conventional educational methods, which are still very much teacher-led. Back when I was young, I felt inferior and not good enough because I learned in a different way than my family members. I've carried those feelings of inferiority pretty much my entire adult life, but I was blessed to fall into hospitality the way I did. All of a sudden, I found that place in the world where I could learn by doing. I could learn by watching other people doing their jobs. And it led me to have an amazing career with many different managerial positions in different countries. It was 2012 when I started learning about sustainability. Back then, climate change was not really spoken about as often as it is now. Back then, there was little explanation as to what was going on to the regular person like me. It was something the scientists and governments would argue about. I had already experienced firsthand what nature can do to humanity. I was working in the Maldives in 2004 when the Boxing Day tsunami came and hit our island, destroying so many lives in just a few minutes. Eco-anxiety is real. I suffered it myself for years after that event. The turning point for me was when I was working at Hotel Doolan in County Clare, and I learned how to measure or business carbon emissions. This is when I realized that if I could measure those emissions, I could also manage them and reduce them. And it then became my life's mission to learn more about sustainability within hospitality. And I started creating what I now call the 50 Shades Greener Method for sustainability. The 50 Shades Greener Method has four phases. First, we measure. If we're looking at environmental sustainability, we measure our impact on the environment. If we're looking at our social sustainability, 
we measure the happiness and productivity of our team or how we're impacting our wider community. The second step is observation, which simply means to observe and take stock of your behavior, your team's behavior, and all the systems and processes at the business. From the measurement and observation phases, we come to the implementation of an action plan. What are we going to do? When are we going to do it? And how are we going to do it? And the last phase is to monitor and report, which simply means repeating our measurement phase periodically to ensure that our implementation phase is working and that environmental impact is reducing or our social impact is improving. This is the process that we now apply with our students in all of our training programs, but also we apply it to our own company. So let me show you this method with a practical example. For me, it always makes more sense with practical examples. When I was the green manager at Hotel Doolan, I noticed that our breakfast chef used to arrive every morning around 6 a.m. and turn every single machine in the kitchen on, even those machines that he would not use until later. When I asked him about it, he said that was his routine. It's what he had done all his life as a chef. He would turn everything on ready for a busy day ahead. And quite honestly, I couldn't blame him. He'd never seen our electricity bills. Nobody had ever told him to do anything different. But through the measurement phase, I had found out that the main oven in the kitchen used 38 kilowatt hours of electricity. And I knew that our electricity unit price was 15 cents per hour. So I was able to calculate that if we were to turn off that oven for just one extra hour a day, every single day, we would reduce electricity use by nearly 14,000 kilowatts, which would save us over 2,000 euros in one year. This was just one machine off for an extra hour a day, which may seem like a really small thing to do, but can generate really good results. And that's how the 50 shades greener method works. We measured the energy use of our oven. We observed our chef's behavior around the use of that equipment. We then devised a training plan for the chefs to implement new procedures to turn machines on and off. And then I continue measuring our electricity use to ensure that it was indeed reducing. Within two years of the start of our green journey at Hotel Doolan, we had reduced our energy use by 30%, waste production by 40%, and water use by 25%, simply by changing our team's behavior around the use of resources. And can you imagine what those reductions meant in terms of financial savings to our hotel? We've all been born in countries where natural resources like oil, gas, and water, they're readily available to us. It doesn't matter how much we use, as long as we're willing to pay for it. We don't have to think twice about waste because we put it in the bin and it disappears as if by a magic trick. These privileges we were born with had made us form our current behavior and we have forgotten the correlation between our daily use of utilities and the environmental damage that they're causing in the planet. When we achieved those results at Hotel Doolan, I realized that running a green hospitality business was not just a nice thing to do. It is in fact the smart thing to do. Reducing your impact on the environment by reducing energy, waste and water is good for the planet, but it's also good for your pocket. And this was my light bulb moment, you could say. 
the moment I realized that I needed to share what I had learned with the rest of the world, whether they wanted to listen or not. In 2017, I finally took the plunge and I founded Fifty Shades Greener as an environmental education company for the hospitality sector. My imposter syndrome, however, really took hold of me for the first few years as the CEO of an educational company. How could a person without a proper degree teach anything to anyone? I've always wanted to be able to speak in a more flourished or professional manner. I grew up in a household where speech and grammar were absolute must-haves. But with English being my second language, once again, I was left feeling inferior and I doubted my programs would be good enough. Surprisingly, it is my everyday language, colloquial terms, and even my own shortcomings of English grammar that has started attracting students to my programs and me in particular. The feedback I was hearing was, I love the directness of the lessons. It's just pure action-based learning. Or you make it all sound so easy, I feel I can do it. After my initial shock, I realized that it was not my language or my teaching methods that needed to change. It was my own mindset. For years, I had created this narrative in my own head that I was not good enough. And the only person that could change that narrative was me. Imposter syndrome is more common than many people think. I wonder if there are any other founders listening today that may have suffered too. However, it is only one of the many obstacles that founders and entrepreneurs will encounter, particularly when working from rural areas. One of my biggest barriers at the beginning of my own business journey was this connection and loneliness. And while loneliness is a state of mind, we can't underestimate the effects it can have when you're trying to bring your idea to a reality. A great entrepreneur is not necessarily going to make a great CEO. There are many aspects of a business journey that are not exactly what you want to be spending your time doing. Yet, they're absolutely necessary to build a successful business. So the top tips I've learned over the past four years are number one, always be kind to yourself. What you're doing is amazing. Maybe not to everyone, but it's amazing because you're realizing your dreams. Follow your instinct when making big decisions. Even when the results are not what you expected, be true to yourself and learn from your failures. Stay connected, particularly when setting up a business in rural areas. Network with intent so you can build your own community. Find other businesses in your local areas and speak to their managers or their founders. Surround yourself with mentors and advisors as much as possible. Research what funding and help is available to you. The LEADER program, for example, is an European initiative set up to assist the development of communities in rural enterprises. But like LEADER, there are many other sources of help available in your local community. Always be open to listen and learn. Even if you don't follow someone's advice, you can learn lessons from every single person you come across. And continued learning is the only way to remain on top of your game. And when the time comes to start building your team, always put them first. Your team will make or break your business. They shouldn't be viewed as a cost to the business. They are indeed your best assets. Treat them as you would like to be treated and build a company that everyone wants to work for.
So let me end with the benefits of building a sustainable business. First and paramount is the ethical thing to do, at least in my opinion, and that kind of allows me to sleep better at night. When it comes to environmental sustainability in business, it can generate huge cost savings from becoming resource efficient. And I'll just show you an example there with our oven in Hotel Doolin. Another benefit is that Booking.com released a report to stating that 87% of global travelers want to travel more sustainably. Running a sustainable tourism business will attract that carbon conscious traveler. A business that puts sustainability at its forefront will increase its reputation from the local community, but also from all stakeholders. When it comes to embedding social sustainability into your business model, you will enjoy the benefits of the staff retention, which at the end generates cost savings from not having to recruit new people and spend time training them. It also increases the staff productivity. A happy employee will perform at least 1.5 times better than an unhappy employee. And the most important thing is that you will build a team of people that are happy to be working together to achieve a common goal, the goal of making your business a success. It might seem like an odd thing to hear in the business world, but when we put people and the planet at the forefront of our business strategies, we can generate more profit and build a future that we're proud of. Uh, Raquel, uh, fantastic. Listen, thanks very much for that. Just a few observations. Um, uh, I think you focus quite a bit there, uh, we'd say, in terms of your own journey on, on the emotional and the personal aspects of starting a business. And I know more and more um, from lots of different people that we talk to that this is essential. Um, you know, we always look at the importance of team Um when we're looking at projects and, and I do some other activity on, on private investment and, and that whole aspect of team and the skills and capabilities of the people and surrounding yourself with people. And you mentioned that their network with intent, uh, you know, speak to people, mentors and advisors and learning from people around you is, is a very, very important part because, um, you know, while you have the grow and the interest and, and the desire to do something in terms of a business, you, know, you you don't always have the skills at the start so you've got to learn as you go on so so that was very good to to, to find out about and, and to hear um just a few things maybe just to tease out a little bit more uh, from you and if, if you don't mind sharing these a, a little bit um I'll, I'll come in a moment to we'd say where businesses maybe miss opportunities to do simple things and I know your offerings you've got a range of offerings so you know maybe can you just reflect slightly on, on sort of where people miss opportunities I know you've alluded to it but can you give us some maybe more examples of where people miss opportunities to do something effective you know without a great degree of difficulty or challenge in terms of the day-to-day -day stuff that they do and then maybe can you go on a little bit and just explain what your offerings are? Because I know you've got a range of offerings, uh, Raquel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I honestly believe a lot of people when they, you know, when they are fronted with the word sustainability in their business, you know, I, I, I think the majority of people want to do something about it, but they just don't know how. And I guess the first thing that everybody thinks of is throwing money at the problem. 
you know, and, and that's not only for SMEs, it's even for the large corporations. They just throw money at the issue and decide to donate to plant trees, you know. Um, and I think we all miss all those small things that we can do, not only at work, but in our daily lives to really, you know, start changing our behavior around the use of utilities. Um, and this is a big, big issue because, as I said in the presentation, I, I really do feel that because we have been born with these commodities, you know, it's never been an issue for us to obtain water. It's not the same in many other countries in the world. There is 1.7 billion people suffering water scarcity every single day. That's 25% of the world's population. But somehow, because we don't see that with our own eyes, you know, we don't actually see it as a problem. Um, when it comes with energy and waste, it generates a huge amount of carbon emissions. And again, it's our own behavior that is actually affecting the increase in carbon emissions. Obviously, we can't, you know, we can't be in charge of everything. We can't fix everything. There is nothing we can do about drilling for oil and gas if our governments allow it. But the way I look at it, we all have a certain level of personal responsibility for climate change. Um, and I do believe that we can all do something to, to better our lives for environmental sustainability. And where people miss um, opportunities at work is to really you know, take a bit of time and a step back and look at all the systems and processes we have around the business. Do you know your equipment well? You know, how often do you analyze your utility bills? In my experience, 99% of managers get a utility bill, they pay it and they file it away, you know, without realizing the amount of information that that bill can give you about your consumption. So it really is about taking a step back, looking at starting with energy, waste, water. I mean, sustainability comprises so many things. I would always say start very small. Take one area, for example, take energy, look at your lighting, look at your equipment, look at your heating systems, your insulation. And then even to your own behavior and the behavior of your team around the use of energy and identify those really small opportunities for improvement that can amount to a lot over the space of a year. And in terms of our, of our own offering now, we are working with the hospitality industry still, but we have diversified to other markets. So we started in hospitality, obviously, because that's the industry I know and I love. Um, and it made sense for me to, to concentrate on that market. So for hospitality, we have a green business online program, which is actually fully funded for all Irish hospitality businesses by the Kildare and Wicklow Educational Training Board. So any business can apply for our training delivered online or in company training. We train every member of the organization, even through the online program, and it's fully funded, so there is no charge at all. Then we also have the Green Manager program, which is our offering for hospitality students or people that want to you know, change their career and become green managers of the industry. We've actually just, we haven't announced it yet, but we actually have built the first qualification for environmental sustainability in hospitality in the world. We've done this in the UK um, simply because Ofqual was a lot more, um, I guess, um, easy to change and adjust to our methods than um, the framework of education here in Ireland, QQI. So from January now, anyone taking our Green Manager program can get a level four award certificate in the UK, which equates to a level six here in Ireland. And then we diversified throughout the pandemic, we moved on to um, build a schools program because everything we teach is around behavioral change around resources. 
And I realized that I was trying to teach adults for three or four years how to change a behavior that they have formed over 30 or 40 years of their life. Um, and how much easier would it be if I could teach students at a younger age how not to form those bad behaviors. So we've run a program with um, the educational training boards as well for three and a half thousand students of secondary schools. We had students as young as 14 and as old as 18. Um, so that was for the last term. And now we've just started to roll it out again um, from today, actually, <laughs> we started it. And the last thing we've just developed are all industries um, employee awareness program. So this is B for any industry, any company that wants to upskill their own employees on carbon emissions management um, and climate action as, as a collective for the company. So they're kind of the three, the three markets that we're in. You could say all markets now once, once our, um, our last um, program is released. Now we've, we've released the first module of it and the full program will be released from January. So that's that's more or less where we're at. And you say that's the only qualification? Available? Yeah, for, for hospitality at the moment, for environmental sustainability. Uh, no, did I hear you right? Globally, is that? Or, or, yeah. 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 Oh, fantastic. There is no other level four certificate for environmental sustainability in hospitality, but the qualification we just built. So, yeah, that was that was a long, hard process that I didn't enjoy at all. It's one of those <laughs> things you have to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose that's, again, the sort of the skill set and, and that you have to develop and work on over, over time. But no, that's, that's a fantastic achievement. Congratulations. Um, a couple of questions or other questions are coming in here, uh, Raquel um, and uh, Maeve Shoike, um uh, from Uthus Nogelta Fawcha Maeve. Um, Maeve is, is uh, asking a question. Um, how do you convince the owners? So I suppose, um, uh, and maybe I'm adding something to Maeve's question here, and I suppose there's an element to sort of run the sales cycle here uh, as well, and sort of, you know, no, I suppose, do you have a, do you have, do you find it difficult to get customers? So Maeve's question is um, two parts. Um, how do you convince owners and managers that this is the thing to do? And then how do you get staff to buy into the plan? So it's easier said than done. They're busy. Mm -hmm. uh, they've got other jobs. Do they just see this as another task? So the owners and managers and then the staff. So yeah. how do you do that? Very different approaches to both. Um, so owners and managers, unfortunately, pre-pandemic, I always led my marketing with the cost savings aspect of the programs because, to be honest, you can't expect everyone to be as interested or invested in sustainability as other people. And so if you lead with the environmental hat, you know, you're not going to get a hotel owner really to, to, to engage with you unless they're, you know, very much a person that is aware of, of climate change and what's happening. Um, but that was pre-pandemic. I always led with the cost savings. However, post-pandemic, I have seen a massive shift in society um, and in all those business owners as well. Now they are more interested, not only in the cost savings, but around the environmentalism of, of our program and how to reduce their own impact on the environment. Let it be maybe from a marketing point of view or let it be because they have actually realized, particularly after the last IPCC report came out on climate change there a few months back, that really is part the interest of a lot of people to start getting in touch with us. Um, but it's not always an easy sale, to be honest. <laughs> you know, you would think that something that is going to save you money and is good for the planet and is good for your team would be easier to sell, but it's not. Um, and then in terms of the staff, yes, um, thankfully in hospitality, 
a lot of our staff are um, younger people. They're the younger generations. And to be honest, it's a much easier sell for them than to the business owners or managers because they already have in built in them nearly like that they are the generation that is going to have to fix the wrongs that we have done in our past generations. And so um, convincing the staff is not as difficult as convincing the owners. You'll always get a cohort and, you know, I've done the maths on this, about 65, 70% of employees of our hotel always take on to the program like dogs to water. They love it, they want to implement it, and they go far and beyond to what we can teach them. And you'll always get a 30, 35% of them, let be maybe, you know, not to be ageist, but you know, those that are a little bit older, particularly those that have been in the industry for maybe 20, 30 years. It is really hard to change those people habits. So, you know, the first thing that, you know, we, we do when we talk to our green managers about doing is having an open policy to listen to everybody and listen to everybody, even if they have neg negative things to say about the green program. But try really to get under the hood and find out why is this an issue for them? You know, what's what's the negative implications of them changing their behavior a little bit? Because a lot of the time you find answers like I'm already overworked. Um, I don't have enough hours to do what I have to do. And now you're telling me to do something different. And that's, again, you know, where you kind of start working on the social sustainability of your workplace. You know, if those people are so stressed that they can't even think about turning off the lights at the end of their shift, well, then you have a bigger problem than, than, than environmental sustainability. So it's about listening to people, be open to all type of feedback. And then, you know, if you can bring them to your side of the fence in terms of environmentalism, I always talk to green managers about implementing new procedures as a standard of procedure, write them into your SOP manual this is now how you open the kitchen this is how you close the kitchen this is how you act during the day at all times with equipment lighting and once it's a standard of procedure it's their job you know and whether they like it or not they'll have to oblige somehow okay so it's it's really like a, a change management project and if you go to Cantor and cotter and the likes of them and they talk about their eight or nine points uh, communication is key and, and yeah. getting leaders is key and, exactly. and, and building that coalition of of uh, of interested people is key um, and just uh, related to that then um so so we say actually getting in front of people so and going back to a point you made on networks um developing your contacts so what sort of networks did you tap into initially and, and was they what sort of networks so how and how has that evolved a little bit so um you know so what networks did you plug into to develop the contacts um you know, was it chambers of commerce tourism groups so on and and has that evolved and how has it evolved yeah, so the very beginning, I was blessed, really. I mean, um, here where I am in County Clare, we have the Boronico Tourism Network, which is a network of over 60 tourism businesses that all have a, an affinity and a remit to, you know, maintain the landscapes that all, all, all of our businesses rely on here in the Boron. Um, and so I knew it straight away 60 business owners. And to me, that was amazing because, you know, it's about... I guess, like not only being part of the network, but not being shy about making connections to those business owners and saying, hey, you know, I've just established my business and I wonder if you could have half an hour to have a chat with me, whether it's in person or online. Um, and really actually spend, you know, time nurturing those relationships, meeting them maybe every month at the beginning and trying to learn from them in every single call that you set up with them, because 
they set up their businesses maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago. So they have a wealth of experience that I didn't have at the beginning. I also contacted my um, local, um, was a local, clear local development office because um, they offer again a lot of help in terms of assigning mentors to you if you need them. Uh, my local enterprise office, my Leo, again, I apply for mentorship there. Once I was about a year, a year and a half um, into the business, then I started, you know, looking, you know, a bit more into the likes of Enterprise Ireland and what they could offer me. So they put out a program called um, Female High Flyers, which was a program for female founders. Now, again, these are decisions that sometimes are hard to make as a business owner because this program took place in Dublin. I had to be in Dublin every Tuesday for um, 14 weeks, which meant I had to actually travel the day before, stay overnight in a hotel. There is cost associated with that. I wasn't making any money. So all those decisions are hard to take. But all I can say is the more of these things you do, the more you learn, the more you become a better um, founder or CEO. And particularly, again, you know, I met 10 wonderful women in that program that I still connected with now on a monthly basis. We still meet up. We have online chats. We talk about the business and we share then things like, you know, where is funding coming available or, you know, who made a mistake and how did they make it and how not to make it again. So I would say start local with local networks, but then also look out to expand. And it is throughout that female founders um, course in Dublin that I have found most of my business mentors going forward um, just through, you know, um, we used to do a lot of kind of um, speed dating with uh, different mentors or different founders in the program. And I've kept in touch with as many of those people as I could. Um, so yeah, it's, it's time consuming. I'm not going to lie. Um, and sometimes it might seem like a silly exercise because it's not an exercise that is going to make you money. You're not making sales when you're chatting to people, but it's the only way that you're always going to stay on top of your game. Um, and people talk, people know people. So I would always say make time for people as much as possible. Great. No, that's fantastic. And uh, I suppose just related to that, a uh, question from my own colleague, Mary Ryan, um, uh, and she was just picking up on your point, uh, you're a great entrepreneur, not necessarily going to be a great CEO. Um, so that's, you know, you've obviously highlighted, you know, uh, I suppose you had, I'm putting words in your mouth now, but, you know, some somewhat of a, an inferiority complex or you doubted yourself at an early stage. Um, and I think the recognition of that you know that there are gaps and there are flaws you know mm. you can see wh where to work so mary was just asking uh, any directions for entrepreneurs on that issue i mean i suppose being open as one and recognizing and you've alluded talking to people but is there any other one or two quick points on that that you think are, are important and and the team you mentioned as well building people around you mm. Yeah, I guess, you know, the very first thing to do in my mind would be to to build a list of your strengths and a list of your weaknesses, you know, and then try and try and see where you can find help in those weaknesses, particularly at the beginning where you can't afford to pay people to to help you fill those roles and you still have to sort of fill them yourself. Um, but like that, contact your local enterprise office or your local development office, because more times than not, they have mentorship available for a lot of the business roles that you might not be good at, like, you know, accountancy, for example. Um, but yeah, it's really just recognizing, recognizing what your what your weaknesses are and um, trying to find solutions that you can afford at every stage of the journey. Obviously, you know, at the beginning, I apply for a lot of free mentorship. 
Um, then a couple of years into my journey, when I started to make money, the first thing I did before I even paid myself is I hired my first team member. And I started paying them a salary because I knew that if I wanted to scale the business, I had to have people with me. You can't you can't run an international business on your own. It's, you know, well, no, you can't. <laughs> I was going to think of an example, but you can't. So that was the first thing I did. And my husband even thought I was crazy because he runs his own company with employees. But he was saying, why are you paying her without even paying yourself? And I thought, well, I have you to pay the mortgage at the moment. So let me build the business, you know. Um, and then within 18 months, I, I, I have now seven employees. So... It was a good move at the time, risky, but one that I could take. And I understand not every founder can take those type of risks because you may have a mortgage to pay. You may have, you know, you have to leave. Obviously, you can't leave with thin air. But I would always say investing on your team, um, it's, it's, it's the best business decision you can do. Right now, even my team of seven, we all get paid the same because nobody's job is more important than the other, not even my own. Um, if it wasn't for them, I wasn't being able to do what I do. And so, you know, that's one of the things that we do is, you know, everybody gets paid the same. That we bring in consultants sometimes when I need them, uh, but they get paid the same as my team. And if they don't like it, then we don't work with them. So it's about making those kind of decisions and sticking to them, whether, you know, sometimes they go right, sometimes they go wrong. But um, yeah, asking for help, it's 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 a big one you know and, and nobody wants to admit that you need help nobody wants to admit that you don't know how to do something but it's it's the easiest way it's the fastest way to get to your end goal which is mm -hmm. to get the job done <laughs> yeah. um again you know you're talking about stuff there and i have so many other questions that i could ask you that come up uh, and and so many other things that that you touch on and i think you know uh you know being paid the same as your employees you know, it's right in the middle of so many conversations that are happening now. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're talking sort of, you know, um, gender gaps, but not only gender gaps. I think I think what you're showing there is, is, is you know, a, a real innovative type of leadership. Um, so, you know, your talk has touched on so many of the things we wanted to talk to uh, today. Um, you know, the... the uh, sustainability part of it, the female entrepreneurship journey, rural tourism, um, you know, intergenerational learning is another key topic. You know, you've, you've, you've covered that, you know, very, very well in terms of, okay, learning, shared learning, shared knowledge and the power and the benefit that comes from that. Um, so you've touched on, on a huge amount of things. And as I say that you're talking, uh, I'm thinking of so many other questions and things we could delve into. But I'd like to thank you very much for your contribution this morning. Um, um, and if anybody, uh, maybe if you give your maybe if you give us your email address, um, Raquel, yep. if, very if, simple. if there are info at 50 shades greener dot I anybody that has any questions just contact me at any stage because um I love to share what I what I whatever I know <laughs> oh that's fantastic so um Raquel thank you very much and thank uh, you for having me on you're very welcome <laughs> we're delighted to have you